Come Holy Spirit, our helper, our advocate. Open our hearts and minds this day. Spark in us, we pray, a word of life, a message that enables us to share Christ's love with others as we seek ourselves to live as faithful disciples. All this we ask in the name of the triune God who creates, redeems, and sustains us. Amen. Our gospel reading today, the last five verses of Matthew's gospel, our lesson includes verses known as the Great Commission. Jesus and the 11 disciples are talking on a mountain somewhere in Galilee. Listen now for the word of God. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Jesus came near and spoke to them. I have received all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Look, I myself will be with you every day until the end of this present age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. O Lord, may my words and may our thoughts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, you know that my sermons often start with a question, so here's the question for today. What's so great about the Great Commission? Jesus did not call it great. Now, he called one commandment the greatest. Jesus said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your being and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. You must love your neighbor as you love yourself. So calling these last verses of Matthew's gospel and similar verses elsewhere in the New Testament, the great Commission, well, it's a more recent development. Last few hundred years from what I've read. So I ask you again, what's so great about the Great Commission? It's not the location. We're told that this happened on some mountain in Galilee, but not which one. I have a friend in worshiping in Jerusalem today. He took a walk to Bethlehem yesterday. It's not like on his tour he can go to that mountain and this is the one. We don't know which one. It's not the vast crowd. This was not an address to a huge crowd. It's 12 guys on a mountain somewhere in Galilee. And it's not the faith of the disciples. Jesus is talking to them and verse 17 tells us on the one hand they worshipped him which is to say they fell prostrate they, they had not done that before on the one hand they worshipped him but it also said some doubted now wait just a minute think about that these are the 11 guys who've been 
personally called by Jesus Christ. They've walked down many dusty roads with him over the course of three extraordinary years. They have seen him work miraculous wonders and signs, healing people who were blind or lame. They've seen him raise the dead Lazarus, calling him from his tomb. They have heard him preach the Sermon on the Mount. They've heard him tell the story of the prodigal son and share truth through many parables. And they have seen him tried and tortured and crucified and buried. And then they've seen him risen from the dead. So the eleven worship. But some doubted. Really? Now before you start thinking to yourself, oh yes, Doubting Thomas, I know that was him. No, wait a minute. Thomas is only mentioned one time in the whole book of Matthew, and that was just in the list of the disciples. The disciple who gets described as the doubter is that impulsive fisherman named Simon Peter. Remember when Peter was going to walk to Jesus on the water but got scared, and as he began to sink, he shouted, Lord, rescue me. And Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him, saying, You man of weak faith, why did you begin to have doubts? And then when Peter denied Jesus three times on the night of the crucifixion, you know that his fear was often stronger than his faith. So when the disciples met Jesus on the mountain, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Well, in two ways, we can feel a little reassured by that mention of doubters among the disciples on the mountain as Jesus gave them the Great Commission. First, they're a lot like us, aren't they? Their faith was not perfect. Their trust was not full. Sometimes our journey of faith, well, it's like that airplane passenger who's so afraid of flying, he sits tense on the edge of his seat, never quite letting all his weight down. <laughs> like that makes a difference. Well, just as the plane, <laughs> the plane carries our whole weight, even if we're scared, Jesus goes with us, carries us, sends us even when we have doubts. You see, nothing, not even doubt, can separate us from the love of God. The second thing we should notice is that Jesus does not wait for us to be absolutely full of faith, free from doubt, before claiming us and sending us to make disciples, putting us to work for the kingdom of God. The truth is, God does not call the qualified. God qualifies the called. Jesus gives the disciples a role, a job, a vocation involving three verbs, action words. First, go and make disciples of all nations. Second, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And three, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. So first, go. Well, Jesus has given that go command before. Go be reconciled to your family, he said, before you leave your gifts at the altar. He said, go the second mile. 
Elsewhere, he said, go into your room to pray in secret. Rather than making a big public fancy, fancy, look at me, I'm religious thing, go into your room and pray in secret as well. He said, he also said, go and sell things and give to the poor. Well, the second word was baptize. The professor, uh, Stanley Saunders, has written that this baptism signals a turning away from the world, that is, for, at least from the world's values. Baptism in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit means the embrace of God's rule of healing and restoration, the power of Jesus' cross and resurrection, and the renewing force of the Spirit set loose in the world. Then the third word was to teach. In the Gospel of Matthew, at least, before this verse that commissions the disciples and therefore us, there's just been one teacher, Jesus. But now the disciples and all of us who claim to follow Jesus are charged to teach new disciples to obey everything that I have commanded you. Well, do you remember the question we started with today? What's so great about the Great Commission? Well, I'll tell you, two things. First, Jesus has commissioned you and me for a great job to go, to baptize, and to teach new disciples. And the second great thing is that this is a commission that comes with a great promise. He said, I myself will be with you every day until the end of the present age. You probably remember that Matthew's uh, gospel starts with that genealogy, a family tree that traces Jesus' ancestry from Abraham to David and then on down to Joseph. It's famous because the King James Version has lots and lots of begats. There are probably 40 or 50 of them. But you may not recall that the first chapter of Matthew ends, it ends with a description of Joseph receiving a message in a dream in which he is told that his wife Mary is carrying a baby conceived by the Holy Spirit, a baby who will save people from their sins. And in that dream, the prophet Isaiah is quoted. Look, a virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. And there on an unnamed mountain in humble Galilee, Jesus promises 11 disciples, including doubters, that he will be Emmanuel, God with us, to the end of the age. Well, maybe you're thinking, oh, you know, I'm not worthy. Well, you're not. I'm not. We're not. So remember this, that the risen Jesus came back. He came back to his disciples. These had been his best friends for three years, even though, even though one of them had betrayed him. They had all abandoned him. They had, Peter especially had denied him. And even the risen Jesus, some of them doubted him. If Jesus can forgive them and commission them, and promise to be with them, that means there's grace enough for you and me too.
as Christ is enough for all. So thanks be to God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go now in the fellowship of God's presence and as you go, remember in the goodness of God you were born in the providence of God. You have been kept every moment of your life and in the love of God fully revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. You are redeemed. Wherever you go and whatever you do in the days ahead, you are there for a purpose, to be God's child, to be Christ's disciple in that place, to love God and to love your neighbor. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and every moment of your life.